My people, my people, it is time for us to record the Weekend IndyCar listener Q&A show powered by you. All the fun, interesting, insightful, and comedic submissions that come in each week. I think yet again, despite having close to zero really new and interesting things happening in IndyCar, I think something exceeding 50 questions. So, yeah, uh, just... A blessing. So thank you again. 52 questions, according to our pal Jim Kaiser, who puts together the questions for me. Thanks again, Jim. Seriously, you uh, you do some pretty amazing things to help uh, myself and my wife to make the show possible. So we're going to get into those questions in a moment. I want to say thank you, as always, to Cooper Tires. Amazing folks who make the road to Indy possible. Their tires powering every level there the justice brothers whose automotive chemicals and lubricants found in the places where you take your cars to be serviced at racetracks where your favorite indie cars sports cars stock cars you name it are found uh putting vehicles in the finest order of shape and then also our memorabilia friends t-shirts stickers hats scale models just keychains all kinds of silly stuff including plenty marshall pruitt podcast gear that would be torontomotorsports.com give them a visit uh don't stop by i think there's some serious covid restrictions going on right now but stop by torontomotorsports.com and you'll probably find some fun stuff you want to take home a lot of indycar content there a lot of driver stuff driver swag all pretty fun so Normally, if I'm giving a Pruitt family update towards the beginning of the show, it's talking about my wife and her ongoing efforts to defeat breast cancer and some very serious mobility challenges as well. Give you a quick update since I mentioned it. She is rocking and rolling, y'all. We are by no means done. Uh, This is a on the cancer side, this is something that we're going to be, I don't know if I should say fighting, but probably something we're going to be maintaining, keeping under control for quite some time. But we're getting to a really good place with that fight. Had it return. this is now our third time since what 2018 latter stages of 2018 so been in this fight for a fairly consistent period of time for those who are newer listeners to the show that is why uh, more often than i would like i am not hitting the monday night recording monday night posting or tuesday morning posting it's quite often gets pushed back a little bit just based on frequency of busyness and travel today for example uh, I'm starting this recording at 7.56 p.m. Uh, we just got home a little while ago. Three appointments today, morning, middle of the day, and then end of the day. And so, a, as my wife said, Shabrell, she's like, it feels like we woke up and we're gone and just got home. So we have a lot of these days each week, for those who don't know. So just sharing. Um Lots of good stuff happening, lots of positive stuff happening, and hope to do maybe a little bit of a deeper update here soon. Your well wishes for her are received. Those of you who pray, your prayers 
not only are received, but they are felt and they have been put to great action. So, uh, Mrs. Pruitt, who is my life, the center of everything that I do, my greatest pride, the person and thing entity that I love more than anything in the world. Um, we've been, we've been doing really good lately. She specifically has been kicking a lot of butt little tempering of that in that even with lots of success and positives, always some setbacks, um, big physical toll that she incurs and weathers and pushes through. So I look forward to a day where we can both say, Hey, it's just free and easy. Like we just lived a normal day, normal life, no aches, no pains, no side effects, but it's coming. Uh, Other thing I wanted to share main thing. Some of you have asked, uh, mentioned, I think shortly after the new year was dealing with a, uh, inner ear infection, uh, was having some issues, woke up basically just middle of the night to go to the bathroom and almost crashed into the wall. Head was spinning and it didn't make any sense. Didn't go to bed with any symptoms, but at four in the morning or whatever it was, uh, just went to get out of bed and go use the bathroom briefly uh, and nearly took a header and had to hold on to the wall, hold on to the chest of drawer, hold on to a lot of things just to make the five to 10 foot walk into uh, our bathroom and our bedroom and was like, wow, okay, I don't know what's going on there, but maybe I was having a dream that I was stuck in the eye of a hurricane getting spun around. Who knows? Um, laid back down and in laying back down, my head truly went for a spin. Like someone just took my brain and like, uh, spun it at a mile, million miles an hour, uh, woke up the next day. Um, similar thing. So like I had downed a bottle of, uh, bourbon, but I hadn't. And so that continued the other part, which I think I might've mentioned is This is two things happening at the same time that I believed were related. Uh, My left ear kind of sort of turned off. And so for a guy who, I don't know, uh, has a podcast, does lots of things with audio, loves the sound of race cars, listens to music almost nonstop every day and has since he was six or seven years old, et cetera, et cetera. It's been really strange having my left ear kind of sort of turn most of the way down. Uh, really hypersensitive. Feels like it's just like a drum that's so tightly wound that any little news is like a gunshot being fired. Took more antibiotics than I've probably ever taken and did absolutely nothing. So went to uh, an ear, nose, and throat specialist about 10 days ago, I think something like that, whatever the exact timing was. I'm sharing this for a reason. Um, once these symptoms started happening, both the, Hey, vertigo, uh, can barely walk normally and function. The solution wasn't sitting down and being still because my head was still kind of moving, made it really hard to concentrate. Like there are a couple days there, um, where, I don't have great recollections because my brain is in such a cloud trying to 
orient itself. Ear issue, no improvement whatsoever. So finally was able to get an appointment um, with an ear, nose, and throat specialist who said, yes, uh, it sounds like this is a viral infection. The a specific viral infection in the uh, inner ear. And, fun part, the vertigo-type stuff, that'll go away. Uh, You're coming up on a point now, time-wise, from when it first happened to when it should more or less work itself out and be gone. And that's proven to be accurate. Um, Barely any sensations of it. Bad part is the hearing side. And so it had taken about two-ish weeks to get to a doctor. Tried the long-standing healthcare system I'd been a part of, and they were like, yeah, you bet, see you in February. <laughs> and so the new healthcare system that we've been seeing specifically for uh, my wife and treating the breast cancer, um, we don't have our primary anything there, but said, hey, let's just see and they were able to accommodate us within two or three days. So got there, and the doctor said, really good that you got here within two weeks. I really wish I'd been able to see you sooner because this is a bit of a ticking time bomb. And whereas the vertigo and head spinning is solving itself, as he said, uh, did a hearing test right away and found that in my left ear, uh, this viral infection and causing inflammation and such actually causes permanent damage. And the only way to try and mitigate it, he says, we've got, you get about a month. And so I'm glad we got you halfway through that. But so we have about a month to try one thing that has proven to work. So if you're a little bit squeamish, you might want to fast forward past this part. Uh, he said, the only thing we can do to see if we can restore some of the hearing that's been lost. Also heavy ringing in my left ear, like I have tinnitus. I don't have tinnitus. It's just a function of the hearing loss that I'm told. And by the way, I've been wearing earplugs for a super long time. Every year I get my new IMSA and IndyCar hard card. I actually have little um, foamy hearing protector holders that I uh, put in place there. So they're with me everywhere. So it's not a case of like, not taking care of my hearing, uh, being at the racetrack for decades is finally catching up. This is truly an overnight viral infection that kicked off. Anyways, he said, so we really have one course of action. Uh, you've lost, I forget what it is, but like 50% hearing in my left ear. It's pretty much all bass. Uh, no treble, no anything, just dull. And then the ringing on top of it. He said, so, uh, what we would need to do starting tomorrow. And then we would need to do this uh, two additional weeks in a row. So three consecutive treatments is you'll come in, have you hold still on uh, the table and we will drill a one millimeter hole in your eardrum. <laughs> what? Uh, we're going to, we're going to poke a one millimeter hole in your eardrum then take a syringe and stick a needle hopefully through that hole and administer steroids uh, to cortisone to try and have the 
parts that are inflamed from this viral infection calm down, shrink a bit, and cause some form of restoration of hearing, but that will also help your balance issues and inner ear issues and head spinning stuff. So he said, Hail Mary. That's what this is. He says, we've had patients as young as seven come in with 0% hearing because of this specific viral infection. We go through this treatment three weeks in a row. One young girl at seven years old was able to get all of her hearing back. Uh, we don't know. It's a, it is, there's no linear reaction to this, but it's the best treatment that we know. So, hey, guess who goes back Wednesday? Um to have, uh, I don't, I would imagine it's healed up a little bit, but basically to poke uh, another hole in my eardrum and then stick a needle through it and administer more steroids and then go back the final time and they'll do it again and then we'll do a hearing test and hopefully uh, I get some hearing back in my left ear and everything else is cool. If you saw me right now, you'd probably laugh more than usual because since last whatever that was wednesday or thursday i've been having to keep a uh cotton ball stuffed in my left ear uh to prevent any risk of infection or whatever of the exposed hole in my eardrum so anyways it's like nothing right i mean there are people with real problems in the world my wife real problems this by no means is one of them but uh so yeah so that's been the deal so that's one of the reasons why, whether it's content being produced at Racer at a slower rate than usual, podcasts being a little hit and miss timing wise, it's only in the last, to be honest, I still have, I'm still not feeling great now. My head's still a little something, but uh, that's that. And also, uh, of the many treatments my wife receives, one of them is acupuncture. And so she said, Hey, dummy, uh, you've been resisting this for years uh we're going uh right after your treatment and you are going to see my acupuncturist and she is going to um do everything she can to help with drainage from your ear and all the things that uh chinese medicine knows to do through acupuncture to help improve this problem as well so not only did i get a hole drilled in my ear and then a needle stuck through it uh also for the first time last week this is happening again in a couple days um your boy is laying on the table there with all kinds of acupuncture needles stuck in him and my wife was in the room and i don't know if i've ever seen her happier that her dumb husband finally just shut up and did what she said and while I would be lying if I said the acupuncture like changed my life and fixed everything, there were definitely some positive benefits that I felt. And this is as a guy who's been a little bit skeptical. Um, yeah, uh, it was well worth it. So <sighs> trying to get over some stuff, y'all. Uh, mentioned, I think, last week that I had to cancel my flights to the Rolex 24. With Omicron still kicking off there, uh, I hope that that is better in Florida here in about a month's time so I can indeed go to the season opener at St. Pete uh, and have much lower risk of bringing it home and exposing my wife to that risk since she doesn't have an immune system. So 
<sighs> all kinds of fun stuff. Should be looking for some stories here on Racer shortly that are IMSA related, since this is big Rolex 24 week, but also maybe kind of sort of IndyCar related. Uh, spoke with our boy Colton Herta today, his first experiences in an LMP2 car, so I'll whip that up. I uh, think I'm going to be talking to Mike Shank here as well. And I don't know, I don't have the list in front of me, but I got a lot of other interviews that I've done, plus some IndyCar stuff. And I think by the end of the week, finally, if all the publishing is meant to happen as desired, we should finally be able to talk in depth about IndyCar's ERS system and more. So time for our little surf rock music bed. Thanks once more to y'all and your questions. Uh, obviously, I appreciate them uh, and you and the ability for us to congregate each week and do this together. That's the fun part. We do this together, enjoy one another's company. We'll mention if you want to enjoy more people's company, there is actually truly a listener group for I'd say it's, it's heavily IndyCar related, but not exclusive. Uh, listeners of the podcast who've come together under the Prue Day moniker. And if you want to join them, bench racing, I think most of it takes place on Twitter and Discord. Uh, Prue Day Rocks at gmail.com. P R U E D A Y R O C K S. Prue Day Rocks at gmail.com. And there are some really and truly awesome men and women there who are waiting to receive your email saying, Hey, I don't know exactly what y'all do, but, uh, I'll give it a try. Make some new friends, have some fun bench race, uh, save the world, make fun of each other, make fun of me. Um, that's what they do. I'm not a member. I don't see it. I just hear about it every now and then. So prude rocks at gmail.com. I hope you uh, join in the fun. All right. We're kicking off here with a little bit of a sidebar unveiled new show tune the weekend indie car show tune cartoon not show tune as in song as in broadway but show cartoon from our pal roger warwick uh, who tells me by the way since we did a gofundme for him i don't know what a month month and a half ago uh, needing some uh, immediate financial help for he and his wife his wife who's been out of work dealing with some medical issues that uh, sounds like things are picking up in a very positive direction there as well. I need to get another more recent update, but uh, the last one just made me smile. So glad to hear uh, all of your help and some positive stuff for uh, Whitney Warwick from a work standpoint is uh, coming together here. Uh, Roger, uh, I've given him kind of an infinite list of show tunes for the Week in IndyCar and Week in Sports Cars uh, that I'd love for him to do. And as he's able to knock them out, he does. So the one that he finished... The one that I posted here for this Q&A call was uh, 50 years ago, the uh, McLaren M16 Penske Racing Indy 500 winning entry driven by Mark Donahue. So a lot of folks seem to love that. So Tim Peters says, awesome cartoon. Will it be made into a shirt? Says, here's a picture of me with a real car uh, at State Fair Park, a.k.a. Milwaukee, back in 1972. Um. I don't know, Tim, that would be a question best answered by Derek Koska from torontomotorsports.com. If there's a desire by you and others to have one, uh, I'm more than positive that he can make some. 
I uh, don't know if we're really doing kind of one-off. One person wanted one. So uh, maybe it'd be a good thing if any of you who've seen it and say, yeah, I might like that. I might want that as a T-shirt. Reach out to Derek, uh, torontomotorsports.com on Twitter, Instagram, uh, or just go to torontomotorsports.com. Uh, or send me a note, and I can connect you if you want to do that. But try and reach out to him first. I got enough to do as it is. Uh, but yeah, shouldn't be a problem, Tim, but hopefully make it worth Derek's while to get uh, a handful of them printed at minimum. JJ Gertler says, best Pruitt cartoon ever, or at least the most Donahue, which is the same thing. Roger just knocks it out. I love the fact that I can give Roger some vague ideas of what I would like and then minimal, like, okay, great, let's tweak this, let's tweak that after he shows me uh, the, the first rendering. And it's done, like truly. And I guess this is just repping a friend who's awesome at what he does. I mean, I pay for all this, so keep in mind, I'm not someone getting stuff for free. I'm absolutely saying, please pay the man for his work, for whatever it is that you want uh, of you and your car or grandpa or grandma and the car they love that you heard about growing up whatever folks do a lot of that by the way uh reach out to roger and give him money to do drawings for you because he's so good and requires so little feedback to nail things uh brian burrell uh, also says no way roger would have let you uh, that being roger penske wear the beard from that cartoon on mark donahue's timing stand very true i did wonder though brian after seeing your question has Roger Penske had like a skin colored beard his whole life and it just kind of looks invisible? Has he been playing us this whole time? Questions I have. Uh, and then Ron Schmidt closes this by saying, driving for that legendary Prusky team. I love it. Yet again, Roger's brilliance of turning Penske into Prusky. Uh, Jameen Tuttle, how you doing, my friend? Says, MP, hope all is well. Says, thinking about the upcoming season and the very large fields we will have each week. Does the size of the field change the team goals for rookies or even veterans? Say a top 10 and you've got 26 cars seems way better than say a top 10 out of say 19 or 20 cars. So when you look at the grid and you realize how easy it is for the second or third best big team car to finish in say the mid teens on a race weekend, it says, I'm, I'm ready for the long off season to be over and hoping next year uh, we fill in that early season schedule gap. I totally agree with you, brother, on the last part. Uh, although, <laughs> got to admit, uh, gaps, as I get a little bit older every year, those gaps, actually, I kind of like them. But I realize if you're a racing fan who just wants to be entertained compared to uh, the folks having to put on the entertainment or cover the entertainment, uh, breaks are bad. I like where you're going here, where I think this is going to matter most is not so much the person that gets, say, that 10th place in a field of 26, because the person getting that 10th place in a field of 20 or 22 or 24, I don't think that's going to change so much, right? The, the players that we know to expect in and around the top 10 fairly consistent where I think this is something that has potential to have meaning is for those who hopefully have been improving year by year 
or those who are coming in as rookies or maybe sophomore drivers looking to demonstrate their improvement. So Jimmy Johnson comes to mind. Last year at a lot of races, we had, what, 24-ish cars? And so it was Jimmy, Dalton Kellett, um, I don't know, one or two others maybe, but it's kind of Jimmy and Dalton keeping each other company towards the back. Jimmy being a rookie, Dalton being someone who, you know, a, a high-functioning race car driver, just maybe not meant for championships and 8,500 wins. If Jimmy can go from being 22nd, 23rd on average, 20th, 21st, whatever, out of those 24 or so cars to being 18th, 17th, 16th out of 26, that's a kind of, of gradient that jumps out to me, Jimmy, and is like, okay, now that's meaningful. Um, the same time, it'd be very interesting to see how Takuma Sato, for example, in a highly capable RLL team, realize that he did not have a glowing 2021, but still it wasn't terrible. But Takuma, in a quality RLL entry, uh, where did he finish? 12th ish, in the, 11th in the championship, right? What is his season going to be like at Dale Coyne? Right, driving for coin is doesn't automatically mean anything negative or bad, but we know without a doubt, Dale Coin does not have anything remotely like the money, or technical and engineering resources as an RLL. So if we're accustomed to seeing Takuma, P10, 12, 13, whatever, we're looking back to last season among, you know, he definitely had what five, six, seven, whatever it is, top tens, but. Decent year, but not great. What does that look like for him? Moving to a smaller team, smaller resources, smaller everything. Is Takuma finishing 17th, 18th, 20th? Where does that fall uh, in a bigger field? Is that actually high achievement, knowing the disparity he's dealing with compared to what he had in 2021? Or do we pile on? You know, I would hope not, but if he's stuck in 21st or 22nd way too many times, do we say, wow, man, I mean, you're not last, but good Lord, you're propping up, uh, you know, you're helping to prop up the bottom of the timesheets. It's those kinds of things where I go, all right, that, that's what I'm looking forward to figuring out. We looked last year, and it wasn't a complimentary year for some drivers. Where are they going to stand? That's going to be the thing that I'm looking forward to most of all. Let's see how some who hopefully have progressed, where are you now? Look, if you were one or two spots off of last at most races, and you're still in that position now, but there's more entries... Yeah, that, that, that's not what we were hoping for in terms of progress. And hey, you've been kind of a top 10 person. Now your situation has changed. If you are now towards the back, what does that mean? Is that team? Is that driver? Is it both? Is that an indicator of 
maybe it's time to hang it up. That could be the thing, right? Uh, if you're running 20th, that might be really good for the team in a 26-car field. What does that do to a, a two-time Indy 500 winner, guy that's accustomed to winning one race a year of late, like a Takuma? I don't know if anyone else is jumping out uh, so much right now in that role, but what does that do, right? Does being back there, do you and I, say, hey, 20th is actually really good for what you have to work with. But what does that do to the the psyche, the spirit of someone like Takuma who is not wired to be happy with 20th place? So anyways, those are the kinds of things I'm thinking about. Love the question, and thanks for a, a good thinking one to uh, really open the show here, Jameen. Uh, Joseph Achzet. Achzet. Joseph, I sure i'm murdering your last name please send in another question and also include some sort of hey dude this is how you properly put the six letters in my last name together in the correct form of speech uh says love the new art greeting from uh your pet aussie to our cats here rocky and rosie thanks man says i've heard you talk about the fit and finish of the bodywork the seams in IndyCar, but how far can teams manipulate the body work and how does IndyCar te- keep team? I'm going to try and I'm, by the way, for those who are new listeners, I don't edit my mistakes out. I call the show my unpolished turd. I'll leave them all in. Uh, let me try this. Let, let me see if I get my new lips inflated, see if they'll work after a sip of coffee. I've heard you talk about the fit and finish of the bodywork and the seams. But how far can the teams manipulate the bodywork? And how does any car keep the teams in check? Templates, laser inspection, like NASCAR's Room of Doom. Uh, it says, first time, public question. I love the public part, by the way, Joseph. It makes me think you've had private questions all along uh, and answered them by a fake me. Um, manipulate yeah that is something that teams are really frowned upon from attempting to do uh filler is what is allowed to be used and i'm thinking more indy 500 big super speedway wanting to create as perfect an aerodynamic shape with no gaps in the body work and just everything snug as can be no places for air to get in and um create eddies and ripples and create little tiny pieces of drag little tiny parachutes um allowed to use some body filler as needed to fill in gaps and make everything fit properly but that's about it as for inspection here's an embarrassing thing that i need to raise my hand i've been to three indycar races in like the last two and a half years and i of those three i went to this past september not once did I walk by tech to see if and what they're doing differently from what I recall. There are a variety, and this is, again, just going off of memory, so I apologize if this is a little bit dated and wrong, but uh, it's a lot of dimensional checks. It's a lot of dimensional checks, width, height, etc., etc. load tests to make sure that things aren't that shouldn't flex aren't flexing and whatnot uh, but beyond that making sure that everything conforms to the dimensions they are supposed to i don't recall 
much else. But further great point for me to recall or remember, hopefully, if I'm able to get to some of the first races, to just walk over. I know that I can call and ask folks, but uh, I'm very much of a visual learner. So um, if I see something that is different from what I just told you, I will be sure to include that in a future episode. Thanks again for sending in your first question, Joseph. Help me to not murder your last name. And I love it when folks raise their hand and say, hey, first time, because um, I just want to celebrate you for joining us in public here. Uh, Jake Hoover from the Twitters says, first time, long time. Congratulations as well, Jake. Says, uh, what does Ryan Hunter Ray's future hold in the series? Indy 500? Or is it part-time? Or is he done? If he is done, does he have any plans to remain involved in the sport? Uh, any suggestions on a new driver to root for? Uh, also mentions kind things uh, about me, my wife, Shabrell, and the cats. Spoke about this a little bit last week, Jake, but hey, uh, happy to cover it quickly here. Again, Ryan's got a couple of Indy 500 opportunities that have been presented with him. I'm by no means speaking on his behalf, but if it's the ones that I know of, I think for an Indy 500 winner and IndyCar champion, it might not be the worst idea to pass. I think there could be one one or two things that might be good for him next year so it's a weird place and in a really uncomfortable place for any driver to be in jake with those credentials right won a bunch of indycar races won a championship won the indy 500 there's an inevitable point where your career starts ramping down i just mentioned takuma sato perfect example where you go the opportunities that are left for you none of them are equally as good as what you have right now so if you want to stay in the series you're going to have to accept the fact that it's moving down you're and again i don't mean down bad people bad just saying achievement wise record wise there's a massive difference between uh rll dale coin racing and if you're willing to have lower odds of success and finishing farther back than you're accustomed to on average there are teams that will say hey come drive for us boy we sure would love to have a two-time indy 500 winner like takuma or again champion and indy winner like ryan hunter ray but what does that suggest about where the rest of their career is headed. It's not Roger Penske calling and saying, hey, I want you to drive for me full-time. It's You're probably going to have to get accustomed to midfield teams or maybe even farther back from here on out. And so with that in mind, does Ryan fight to just be there, knowing the odds are now crazy slim with a smaller team that would love to have a bigger name to promote or does he say you know what man i've had a great run and if the right thing comes along i'm on it and i'm not quitting and i'm not failing to call people and inquire but 
I don't need this so badly that I'm willing to take that step back just to squeeze another couple years out of my career. I would suggest that since he has not signed elsewhere to my knowledge, he's probably taking that approach. If it's right, if I feel I got a chance, let's talk about working together. Other than that, could be sports cars, could be business, could be who knows what, but uh, I'd rather go out having held status than kind of keep making that trip every year, every two years, one or two more rows back to another team, and then one or two more back to another team. You keep doing that, Jake, obviously, and you run out of rows to go to because you're on the last one. As for a new one to root for, I'd say the Foyt team. They got three that I really got all the time in the world for, one being Kyle Kirkwood, reigning Indy Lights champ. I don't want to put too much on him. Granted, plenty of other folks do, so it's not like I'm doing anything abnormal, but he's given us all the indicators that this one's special. Uh, We're not going to see it with wins and all kinds of stuff this year unless some sort of fluke thing happens. But I think this kid's going to be pretty darn special. So root for Kyle. Tatiana Calderon is new teammate on the road and street courses. She's going to be drinking from the proverbial fire hose, getting in here not too long before the season starts without a ton of testing. She's going to have a giant learning curve, but her spirit is amazing. She is a talented race car driver who just needs time to develop it in the same series, same car, really set roots in something and learn how to master it, which he's almost never had a chance to do in racing. It's just been constant change and change and change. New series, new car, new team, just over and over and over again, like just being able to settle, (laughs) right? Uh, That I'm looking forward to. So Tatiana for sure. And then I mentioned Dalton Kellett earlier. I love the kid, right? And it's not said in any kind of dismissive way or whatever else. I've been doing this for a really long time. I've known a lot of drivers like Dalton who, if we're talking about being blessed with ultimate talent, he was not blessed with that last little vestige of thing that makes you a threat uh, in the series you race in. But man, he tries as hard as he can, doesn't give up, tries to be a good citizen, not slow other drivers etc he is the person one someone i'm always rooting for because i realize that you jake me everyone else listening could be a dalton kellett if things align differently in our lives we had the money we had the time we had the interest in trying to become an indycar driver and who says any of us would make it as far or do as well as Dalton has. But he at least is someone that I look at and go, good for you, man. Uh, Racing has positions from first to last. You need folks to fill all of them. 
There's no reason unless the person is dreadful to crap on the ones who are towards the back and know that that's where they're likely to stay, but are always fighting to get better and improve. And if a Dalton is two tenths faster this year, it's not going to make a massive difference in where he finishes. But isn't that amazing to know that he's trying to be better and isn't just kind of phoning it in going, oh, hey, cool. My family's been successful in business and that allows me to play race car instead of trying to get a real job. I mean, this kid's gone to school, has an engineering degree, university degree, smart as can be, right? I appreciate someone like that who just says, I'm going to push and keep pushing till I feel I have gotten as far as I can. So uh, there's three, like truly the AJ Foyt racing lineup, and we're still waiting to find out who's going to take over Tatiana's car on the ovals. It's just underdog city, um, potential future star city, all kinds of stuff. So there you go. Uh, Jeff Crow, how you doing, Jeff? He says, thanks for all you do, MP. You know, I appreciate it. I could have used that yesterday, Jeff, as I was changing, I was emptying litter boxes and texting with Robert Wickens, trying to find a time to do an interview. Um, and yeah, between emptying litter boxes, taking out a lot of trash, uh, you name it. Um, I'm sitting there going, you know, granted, I, this stuff isn't unusual. Just one of those things where you're sitting there going, I hope someone appreciates this because the cat sure as hell don't give a darn. Uh, anyways, all kidding aside. Thanks, Jeff. That's kind of you to say, uh, it says, what's the biggest surprise of the off season so far? Tatiana would be it. And so I'm sure if any of the folks from Foyt are listening, they're probably laughing, but uh, everything I'd heard is that that second rocket sponsored car was not happening, uh, that they were going to be a two car team. I will have absolutely have to admit after hearing that enough times, um, through November and then into December kind of stopped monitoring or trying to check in. So maybe it bubbled back up and I was just caught by surprise, uh, completely here, Jeff, but that one jumped out for sure. Also Gavin Ward leaving team Penske. I'd heard some little stuff about that. Not the leaving as in being gone, but the potential for change there. Um, not as early as I'd hoped, but that struck me as a, hey, wow. Granted, I wrote a whole long column about it, but I think that has the biggest potential, Jeff. If we're looking at the season ahead, if Arrow McLaren SP is not truly in title contention this year, specifically with Pato Award, I know we can say, hey, there's still some newness, and we Craig Hampson moved over back to race engineering. Gavin Ward came in from Penske as technical director-ish, whatever they're going to title him as. Still learning and feeling things out. <clears throat> Might not be totally turnkey like some of the other teams. Maybe a Ganassi, for example, won two championships in a row. Same drivers, same engineers, like more or less same everything. Just we're going to go and try and get a third it's not as as consistent as a Ganassi, but I would say the that move <clears throat> of Gavin coming in, overarching 
roll. Craig going back onto the timing stand, engineering a driver, that being Felix, who I think this is going to, if this isn't a rebound season for Felix, uh, it'll be a shocker. If Aaron McLaren SP is not going into the final races in the lead of the championship or one point off of whomever is, uh, I will say they're going to have to have a very hard look at themselves uh, for how and why they underachieved. We look to last season. Obviously, this came down to Pato, Alex Pelot, uh, Portland. Things definitely turned in Alex's favor and never stopped being in his favor. But by the time we got through Laguna Seca, the penultimate round, I mean, it was done. Frankly, leaving Portland, the odds went from being pro Pato to, oh, dude. Um, and for reasons I still don't fully understand, the team fell off a bit the last couple of rounds. Uh, just did not have that outrageous speed to demonstrate. Um I would expect them to be in a position where they are outrageously fast. Then you uh, you factor in Andretti with Colton Herta. Will Rossi come back to his title contending form? Where does Grosjean fit? Uh, I'm looking forward to all this. Seeing how Air McLaren SP fares, Jeff. Also know that there's Team Penske and Joseph Newgarden and Will Power. and There's other drivers too. Um, it's not like it's going to be easy, but if they aren't firmly inserted by the end of the season uh, in title contention, wow, this is going to be a, uh, says the guy wearing a 49ers shirt, a Green Bay Packers, Roger, Aaron Rodgers esque collapse. Um, all right, that's overstating a little bit. That was like the biggest loss of his career, and I loved it, of course. But uh, anyways, there you go. Uh, Todd Hudson. How you doing, Todd? MP. Not insinuating that Graham Rahal is on a hot seat by any means, but do you think he's going to feel a different type of internal pressure within his own team this year? He says, do you feel the internal competition will elevate the team as a whole? I don't know if I look to internal competition as any form of elevation within RLL going into 2022, my friend. Reason being, it's one thing if you have veteran-ish teammates, drivers that have been together for at least two years, if not three, four, something. There's always a top dog mentality in a multi-car team, right? Always want to beat your teammate. Always want to be the fastest trend setter, uh, sorry, pace setter, uh, earn the biggest money, just right. All those things. Those just tend to develop in terms of pressure, ratcheting things up, making the team better, making each other better through that grinding, everything being a competition that tends to be a, a dynamic Todd, as I have seen it, that comes with a little bit of time. Once you have established yourself within that team, all of a sudden, again, you got others pushing back. It develops naturally, but with time. This, other than Graham returning, is a total reboot. And yes, I realize that Christian Lundgaard did one race last year, but 
right? And got to know the team well, and that was all super positive. But, right, there's just not anything really in the way of history as teammates between Graham and Christian to say, yeah, they've built something that would be triggering pressure back and forth. And then there's Jack Harvey, who Graham has been rooting for to be part of the team for a little while now. They are going to be racing for the same time under the same tent. They've already had plenty of pressure as rivals. <laughs> as we know, they didn't necessarily get along at all times. But what we have here, Todd, is two new additions to the team who are looking to prove themselves in IndyCar in a totally new way with Lungard as a rookie. Sure, he'd love to get the call from Alpine slash Renault slash whomever to go back and become a full-time F1 driver, but in the absence of that happening, would imagine part of his mindset is, hey, since I don't know exactly what the future is going to hold, let me do everything I can to make sure that this team wants to hold on to me and or other teams are coming wanting to hire me. But hey, let me show that IndyCar is for me. I belong and I can deliver. That's something I think he's going to do. Win the Rookie of the Year championship. Championship? No, just Rookie of the Year. Um, from those performances, fully expect that. Jack Harvey? newness as well hey i've been with a, a great new upstart team and Myershank racing helped make it happen with some of the partnerships that i brought together and hey learned a lot's been great but uh, i want to reboot i want to go to a team that has more success more established more everything and now that what this is going to be a sixth year i think as an indycar driver fifth or sixth uh, show you that learned a lot, came close, had some success, uh, met the podium a couple times, etc. But now it's time for me to show IndyCar that I am a winner. Get to the end of this season, Todd, and assuming all three drivers are back in 2023, I think that's where this starts to dial up a little bit internally. Graham... You mentioned not on the hot seat. Keep in mind that half or more of the sponsors that make RLL's IndyCar team exist come from relationships Graham has found. Uh, Graham has managed, uh, you name it. Like So the day Graham Rahal stops driving for RLL is when he decides. Uh, it's not a performance thing. Like, truly, he's one of the serious financial engines there. They've got great folks too that, that find sponsors and partners as well. Just saying like, um, he, he means a lot to them more than just driving. Um, I think Lungard and Jack are going to bring something for Graham to react to, not from them being aggressive and I'm going to beat you Ray Hall, but just their natural performances. I think they're going to bring something that is going to show us the best Graham Rahal we have seen in a while. Uh, I don't know how this is turning into the Kumasato episode. And I don't think I'm speaking out of school too much here, but for the past couple of years, if we're talking really and truly competitive, Make us the best that we are. 
find every nanosecond of speed, put in every extra second of time uh, in engineering meetings, and you name it, like really exhausting oneself to make the car and the team the best it can be from a driver's perspective, which is what we see at, name all the other teams, right? All the main drivers who are fighting for titles every year. Like, that's part of what they do. They're the proverbial gym rats of IndyCar. Non-stop, non-stop. That wasn't a reputation that I heard was attached to Takuma at all times. Now, I'm not saying every driver has to spend a million hours in engineering debriefs, pouring over data, doing all these things. I'm not saying that there's only one way to be a successful and race-winning driver. I am saying, though, that it's maybe not a coincidence that the drivers we look at and say, hey, boy, they sure do win a lot. They're always a threat wherever they go. Again, there's some aberrations from time to time, but uh, those are the ones who are obsessive compulsive when it comes to the engineering, the data, the everything about making their machine better. Would say Graham, for the most part, for a little while now, has been functioning as kind of a one carish uh team and not necessarily having that complementary obsessive compulsive uh teammate or teammates now that he has to improve the overall organization and thereby potentially improve his car i think this is going to be fascinating so appreciate this question going to go into this a little more in depth maybe or maybe I already did enough uh do that in print as we get closer to uh, the start of the season todd but graham has not had the heat brought to him by a teammate or teammates consistently for a year or two and definitely in the contributing off track to make the organization faster better every single thing turning over every little stone like their rivals do i think he's going to find lungard and harvey are going to be great allies in that regard so just like i said i expect aaron mclaren sp to be a big riser here uh, even more than they already were this past season the potential exists todd for RLL to be the biggest mover in the paddock year to year. Pato was already there, led the championship, I think, twice, and was first, second-ish, or third pretty much the whole time. RLL, Graham, despite being a really good fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth in the championship kind of guy, they haven't really contended for a championship properly for a little while now. Big things is what I'm looking for here, Todd. Ryan at Casey Indy Moose on Twitter. By the way, and whenever I ask this stuff, like kind of nobody responds, but whatever. Um, do y'all want me to read your social media handles with your names? Keep in mind that if it's something from Facebook, like from JJ Gertler, which is coming up next, it's just JJ Gertler. But Ryan, whose last name I don't know, but I do know that. This was sent via Twitter, and his handle is at Casey Indy Moose. 
And Todd Hudson was uh, at bartender, the number 10, bartender Todd. So I don't know. If you like some of those, want some of those, maybe, you know, help you connect with some folks that you go, hey, I love your questions or um, we're on the same wavelength and we should connect as, as fans or whatever. Let me know because I can make a point to read them out because I normally don't. Uh, it says, where do Will Power, Scott McLaughlin, need to be points-wise in order to retain their drives in 2023? Uh, also says, has Penske ever changed multiple drivers in their IndyCar programs to start a new season? I'm sure they have. Uh, coming into, what, 20, no, into 2000, they were scheduled for a total reboot with Gilles DeFerrin and Greg Moore. Sadly, Greg died uh, before he could take over that role. Elio Castro-Neves came in. Um, I got to believe there's a year where more than one driver change, but I don't know why my why my brain is farting a little bit. But if I just run through some of the most recent, and again, I apologize if I'm not answering multiple drivers of the same year, but Briscoe was gone, Montoya was gone, Almondinger was gone. Um, I don't know. I, yes, it has happened, but uh, just not sure how many times off the top of my head, Ryan. Um, <clears throat> power is contracted through 2023, so... I would say the only way he loses his ride at the end of the year is if he has a terrible, terrible season and Roger decides it would be in our best interest to try and part ways and I want to buy out the final year of your contract. Um, That's happened multiple times here in recent years, not with Penske, but other teams where driver with a valid contract or one expecting told that they're going to have a contract signed all of a sudden isn't and yeah some sort of financial arrangement is made to uh divorce so if will has a good year where did he finish last year in the standings and i know when i mention this stuff out loud sometimes some of you are like idiot it's this because you know things that i don't always remember will was ninth in the championship uh with one win four podiums uh but i would say though If uh, William Power is not third, fourth, or fifth, I don't expect first or second from him at this point, but if he is third, fourth, or fifth, third, fourth, or fifth, I said Ford, great for a driver who's Chevy-powered, of course. No issues there. If he's not third, fourth, or fifth, I do wonder if Roger is going to start asking questions as to whether they really need to complete that contract love will have forever insane person love that insanity we have a long and deep personal relationship that i appreciate i don't ever want to have that guy not an indycar i also have to speak objectively as a reporter though not about a guy who's a friend and that is Roger doesn't put cars on track, often paying out of his own pocket for a former champion and Indy 500 winner to place ninth. And there's definitely some bad luck here or there, but we could say that about almost every driver. Uh, Joseph obviously rose to second. Um, Final race of the year helped get him to second, but 
Joseph vying for a championship, expected. Pagano vying for a championship was expected, happened eh, half the time. Power, it's been very hit or miss for a while. Ninth for him in the championship, I believe, is the lowest he has finished in a while. Yeah, um, ever. Um, yeah, so never finished lower in the championship for Roger uh, since he started driving for him full-time in, what, 2010? So I'm not saying this because Roger's whispered in my ear, if he doesn't finish better, he's gone, see? Just saying. Uh, Roger's tolerance for mediocrity with his entries is famously low so i think there's a little something there scotty mclaughlin boy he finished 14th one rookie of the year uh, edged out romain groschon who did what three fewer races um had a good rookie season would not consider it to be great nor do I think he would say it was great. Scotty's got to be a top 10 guy by the end of the year. Looking at all the team changes, all the everything that's different from when we last held an IndyCar championship, the assignment of Ben Bretzman to work with Scotty Mack Boy, that's another massive thing. His former race engineer, Jonathan Duguid, really been Penske's sports car guy for a long time. Did IndyCar as well, but really, you know, really kind of brick and mortar sports car person for Roger. Um, came back to engineer Scotty after the Acura Team Penske IMSA program shut down. Well, they've now signed with Porsche to do a massive sports car deal. Um, Jonathan's gone back to that for Roger and now isn't just kind of, you know, technical director, race engineer. He's actually overlooking the whole thing. So huge promotion for him. Well-deserved. If I had to be brutally honest, I think if I'm lining up Jonathan and Ben as race engineers... I'm probably going to pick Ben first. It's just the track record of him, what he's been able to do in open wheel. Ben also has a ton of sports car experience too, championship winning experience as well. But there's just something a little more nuanced about Ben and working with drivers that I think for what Scotty needs in year two, excellent creative uh, race engineer, but also nuance guy. Going to get to know you. Going to get to feel what you need. Little, not so strictly relying on X's and O's and data, right? Just, I think there's the opportunity for Scotty to be better in his sophomore season. We'd expect that going back to all the tracks. Uh, Now knows them not having to learn so much uh, most weekends. But I think him coming back with a year of experience, 
with a championship winning Indy 500 winning race engineer like Ben Bretzman in just the personality of those two. Scott is fun, vibrant, boisterous, up, right? He's not shoegazer. World doesn't exist other than what I see in front of me in the car. Like, it's a guy, well-rounded guy, up, bright personality, warm. Uh, he is matched, I would say, perfectly with Ben in that regard. Ben also has a little bit of that professorial approach, right, uh, to how he does things, and I just think they are going to be a smash hit together. So if you take Scott's exceptional talent, add that second year of exp- uh, that year of experience coming back as a sophomore here, and then throw Ben into the mix to help get more out of Scott, find some new areas for him to work on. Um, I will be shocked as well. I should do just a stupid column of things I'd be shocked about where you're like, all right, idiot. These are probably pretty obvious, but okay. Um, if Scotty is not kind of P nine P 10 in the final standings, P 11 at most, it will come as a real surprise just to close on this. I'd love to say year two, Ben Bretzman, all these Scotty's jumping top five. Man, have you seen who's in the top five? (laughs) And have you seen who's been out of the top five, who is absolutely bound and determined to get into the top five? Uh, Hell, even the top seven, right? Alex Pillow, Joseph Newgarden, Pato Ward, Scott Dixon, Marcus Erickson, Graham Ray Hall. Uh, Going back to last year, Pagano was eighth. Power was ninth. Rossi was 10th, right? So there's no way Rossi is 10th in the standings, right? Like the guy's got to be back up top five. Renus VK was surging like heck for the first half of the year. Wheels fell off, but uh, that kid, without a doubt, is a rocket. And I think he's going to be back up where he belongs deep, you know, top five, top seven, top eight. Jack Harvey, again, I expect him to be just on fire, doing well, better than ever. Hey, Romain Groschon, ever heard of him? He's okay at driving race cars. He was 15th in the standings last year for Dale Coyne. Imagine him with his amazing race engineer, Olivier Boisson, at Andretti, right? Yeah, he's not going to be 15th, y'all. Uh, that guy is going to be deep in the top 10. Where else do we go here? Uh, aforementioned Felix Rosenquist, right? That guy... I don't know how high I expect him to reach in the final standings, but I expect him to be problematic like we've never seen before. Elio Castroneves, full season, right? I don't know if I expect Elio to be a a deep in the top 10 guy, but we know for sure there are many races we go to where the guy is highly effective. Um, Just saying, man. Uh, and I haven't mentioned some of the new drivers as well. Like I said, the Lungard, where does he finish? I think he's going to be a, whoa, watch out for that guy. Um, hard to say, oh, yeah, Scott's just going to vault right in the middle of Dixon and Herta, uh, Erickson and Ray Hall, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the part about IndyCar to love, right? Hey, McLaughlin's going to be vastly improved. And it's still not going to be easy to get as high up as he wants to. So 
I think if we see that ninth, tenth, eleventh, if I'm Roger and I'm I'm realistic, I gotta be happy. If we're talking year three, which I really hope that Scotty has, if he's not in Penske equipment top six, I think that tells us tells Roger at least that you know this is not necessarily an experiment that's gonna pay off the way that we hope. So yeah, man, those are some unfavorable grading points here. Uh, JJ Gertler, Marshall, all the drivers seem so focused on health and spending all their free time at Pit Fit. Who is the Kimi Raikkonen of IndyCar? He says, who's the one that goes out and parties really hard, but is able to get in the car the next morning and melt the asphalt? So the stereotypical answer for many years would have been Connor Daly because, you know, he was out closing bars having fun he has indeed become a more responsible adult so i struggle to think of who we drop in here i mean we can't necessarily say hinch right um it's not like he's ever been you know sloppy drunk like that but he does enjoy himself on some adult beverages i don't know if there is one jj I would love it, though, if it was someone totally against type, right? Um, no, I'm trying to look at some names here. I'm like, no, I'm not going to not, not go in there. Um, would it be hilarious to find out if Dalton was, like, truly, like, the guy who could drink everybody under the table, like, just, you know, d- enough with the nude selfies, Okay like put on your clothes please leave mr kellett like that'd be hilarious to find out if that was like a weekly thing or max chilton by the way someone asked what is max doing next year i think last week recently on the show maybe it was on the mailbag racer mailbag texted max didn't respond not a uh, uncommon max thing uh but wouldn't it be hilarious to know if like max was that guy where you go oh my god just good old bar fight chilton Man, you give that guy uh, a couple pints, and he is just swinging at everybody. Um, I don't think we really have any. Uh, and if there are, if they're like some some secret uh, party legends, I hope someone tells me about it because uh, I need to know. These are the things that interest me. Thanks for asking, JJ. Uh, Kyle Ray at Kyle Mile on Twitter. MP as an always optimistic IndyCar fan. It's a bit deflating to hear Scott Dixon. Talk about how slow and quote junior formula the current IndyCar is. Any idea if there are solutions being worked on or just it is what it is? Just can't imagine IndyCar was thrilled at those comments. Well, uh, it's yours is such a nuanced question, Kyle. As I use nuanced yet again this episode, I it makes me think like, hey, he's he's got to know that. They've got a new hybrid motor package coming next year, right? That's supposed to up the horsepower by like 150-ish, hopefully plus, right? So that should add some speed potentially. So if you didn't know that, hey, there's a new motor package coming in 2023. The internal combustion engine is meant to be about 800 horsepower. Right now, without push to pass... 
and I'm just having to go on when I ask the manufacturers and they give me a number they want to give me compared to what they actually saw on the engine dyno. What is it? 700 ish, 720 ish, maybe seven, what something like that. 750 ish with push, push to pass. Anyways, uh, the new motors going up from 2.2 liters to 2.4, um, aiming for about 800 twin turbocharged horsepowers from those V6s. So up, again, 50, 70, 80, whatever it is, compared to what we have right now at the upcoming end of like a 10-year run with the current one. So it's meant to start out at a, a decent horsepower bump and then in theory increase each year. Uh, the energy recovery system is meant to contribute... 100-ish horsepower. I'm told it's 80 to 100, but I've heard more and more referenced as 100. Put those together, and we go from with full ERS deployment, kind of push to pass, um, 720-ish, 750 right now with push to pass to 900. It's a good bump. Granted, there's also a, a not even remotely capable of ignoring the fact increase in weight coming too. Um, that's in the racer story coming later this week. So I'll spare you that part here, but Dixon is not saying anything new, Kyle. I can tell you that, um, boy, much harsher words spoken by run down the list of everybody. When this formula debuted in 2012, even in 2013, uh, car, the vehicle not being anything nimble or dynamic like they'd hoped. Horsepower being epically disappointing, right? That's not exclusive to any brand, just the formula. Um, so I got to admit, might have been possibly newish to your ears, Kyle. I've been hearing it since this formula debuted. I have written about it ad nauseum. I don't write about it anymore because it's once you've heard it or written about it a hundred times. I mean, what does 101 do for you here? Um, I'm sure IndyCar never likes hearing those comments, but they aren't spoken for no reason. A Scott Dixon, a Joseph Newgarden, a Colton Herta, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Rarely do they make informed comments without intent, right? Not talking about the, hey, how's your day? Oh, the so-and-so car was good and we did this. I'm talking about the, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? When they speak, they're speaking with intent for those words to be heard and to register with someone or multiple people and to be considered. So we'll see. Uh, boy, IndyCar needs a new car. <laughs> it needs a new car, needs a new chassis, needs a new, 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 new to go with the hybrid package coming. That's hopefully much lighter, much more nimble, much more everything. Because even though we are getting this pretty decent bump in power, the thing we're looking for is how much of that increase in speed and performance is neutered is neutralized by the jump in weight um thanks for saying sending that in kyle 
Uh, I'm going to try and rock through as many more as I can here in as quickly as I can. Um, it's 9.08 p.m., by the way. I need to mention here public service announcement from Prude member Ryan Terpstra. It says, despite the uh, Iowa ticket prices being higher than desired, the Prude is planning on having fun at the Iowa IndyCar event. If other listeners were thinking about going, there will be lots of us there that weekend. Definitely a one of hopefully a few Prude type meetups this year. Once again, if you're thinking of going, want to go, want to join up with some friends, maybe all get together in whatever area you might sit, Prude rocks at gmail.com. A little public service announcement for you. Lance Snyder says, OKMP okay, with crypto coin launches being the rage. What if each driver had their own coin? Rossi would have the meh coin. I love that. That's perfect. Uh, Alex Polo, the fried chicken coin. Daily would be the mullet coin. What coins would the rest of the drivers make? Uh, <laughs> well, the Australian or New Zealanders would, uh, <laughs> based on one of their favorite words to use in conversation, and I love using with them, uh, I think Dixon, Power, and McLaughlin would all join together and create the see you next Tuesday coin without a doubt. Um, power might bust off his own, uh, I believe coin. Isn't that, wasn't that the old, uh, alien thing from whatever that Mulder and Scully show was on Fox back in the day. Anyways, I'm probably just kind of rambling to myself here. Uh, Harvey's would be uh, Baker coin, right? Jack the Baker Harvey for sure. Groshan would have Phoenix coin because, I mean, hey, uh, you went through the fire. Use that. Keep using that for sure. I mean, I'm just kind of using the normal stuff here we would expect, right? Herda's would be a taco coin. Uh, for, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, it's got to be. Uh, you nailed the other ones. New Garden, Sushi Coin, for sure. Uh, Paginos would be Norman Coin, the first uh, cryptocurrency for dogs. And uh, I'm going to stop there because, I, I don't know, uh, I probably should. Uh, Matthew Mendenhall. Thank you, Matthew Mendenhall. And thank you to all of you who have done this. There are dozens of you over the past four or five years uh, who have done this and sent notes, and every single time it's amazing. He says, enjoying my fresh set of Cooper tires, a small token of appreciation for all their support. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Seriously, like, that's why folks support podcasts like mine or racing teams, folks who enjoy whatever it is, root for it, sample the product and say, hey, uh, I have choices and I'm going to choose the one that supports you or the thing that I like or the driver or the team that I root for. So uh, overstating the obvious, but thank you, Matthew. Seriously, that's really, really, really cool of you. Uh, take another sip of coffee because it's needed. James Counter says, with the awesome new tune from Roger and the almost unfair advantage he wrote on it, that got me to think about the opposite. Has any team or manufacturer turned up really proud of a new thing they're trying to use only to see it vastly and drastically fail? 
Uh, he says, uh, I think it should be called the fair advantage. If we talk about the last couple decades, maybe the most famous example, not exactly a, a one that hasn't been covered a few times before, uh, that would be Alfa Romeo. Uh, the dominant engine during Alfa Romeo's, what was it? 89, 90, 91, 90, 91. I forget the exact years, but they're running IndyCar. Uh, their motor, which was based on a Ferrari motor that was many years old, uh, that never made it to IndyCar, but finally did with Alfa Romeo cam covers on it back in the car IndyCar era. Uh, that awesome 2.65 liter V8 turbo era. Uh, their motor didn't make a lot of power and blew up constantly. So famously and to the immense displeasure of chevy and ilmore engineering uh the pat patrick team that took that was running it uh got a hold of a chevy engine i'm forgetting that part of the story uh it'll come to me so i don't need anyone to remind me uh, after the show but uh, got a hold of a chevy engine sent it to alfa romeo alfa romeo copied it top to bottom and that was their new motor I mean, it was, in theory, meant to be as good as the dominant Chevy engine, right? Copied it all, so, hey, eh, uh, how could we not be competitive now, except for they weren't? And so that, granted, they didn't want the news that they had truly just stolen Chevy slash Ilmore's intellectual property, copied it, and tried to beat them with it. That is not something they really wanted out, but it did get out. And it really didn't sit well. Granted, more competitive than they were before, but yeah, didn't do the trick. So I would say eh, that's one. Another quick one that comes to mind, the Genoa Racing uh, team that I worked for where we were in Atlantics when I first joined with them, then Indy Lights, then the Indy Racing League. In Atlantic, uh, back when there were multiple chassis and the rules were relatively open, there was an attempt to do something very different by making new body work for the, what was it a 41 Ralt RT 40 I think it was at the time 41 40 whatever it was um, replace the bodywork with one tenth smaller bodywork so the goal was because you couldn't really make it that any much smaller without the whole thing being just wacky uh nine tenths scale bodywork and a lot of time and effort went into it all with the goal of again hopefully having a smaller shape piercing through the air yet still making all the downforce and everything needed and hey that's going to be an advantage and it didn't work out at all so that's another one where you go well that was definitely the fair advantage uh next question here is a longer one and i appreciate it sent by jeff egger from the facebook so give me a moment to read through this. There are a number of questions or things in here, but uh, always appreciate this content on the show. Uh, speaking of last week's show, I believe, maybe the one before, I, they all blend together after a while. I apologize, Jeff. MP, you are critical again of IndyCar's Race for Equality and Change program while giving the W Series a pass, even though the W Series has been in existence two to three times longer. Don't you need to give Penske time, as you suggested with the W Series? Uh, you know, instead of reading through all of it, let me take that first. 
I don't recall giving the W series a pass, Jeff. I recall saying many complimentary things, but also saying that if the prize for winning is money and just kind of coming back and having a seat again, you know, or the top couple of drivers, whatever, if this is kind of a captured audience thing for women racers, Hey, great. You won, or we're one of the leading drivers and you get to keep coming back. I seem to recall mentioning that as really being a stifling thing. And also mentioning that the W series to make their series truly powerful and to achieve the potential of developing a full series of women in open wheel racing, the W series either needs to spend money to fund opportunities on the road to Indy and other open wheel series in the world or work with teams, sanctioning bodies align in whatever ways, Hey, the winner uh, top three in the, the W series championships get these things again from IndyCar, Indy lights road to Indy uh, super formula F3 F2 GP, right? If it's all just kind of self-referential, if it's all just a loop where everything keeps coming back for these women in the W series, that is not a success. So I seem to recall mentioning all those things. So uh, I, I wouldn't characterize that as giving them a pass, but nonetheless, um, here's why I am currently and will continue being critical of the race for equality and change. They've been in existence for one season. There's been, let me rephrase that one season of the race for equality and change has taken place. Absolutely correct. W series has been around for a season in 2019, 2020 lost to COVID back in 2021. They've held two seasons of competition, but nonetheless, they have indeed been around longer. Should I give Penske more time? Issue here is this. After year one of the W series, the W series didn't say we're turning everything upside down and changing everything that we're doing and just trying to focus on getting a woman into F1 or IndyCar or NASCAR or something and we're pretty much pitching this whole driver development, creating a ladder that hasn't existed before, hasn't existed properly before, uh, right? We're trying to fill a void and build for the future. If after year one they said, all right, well, we're going to try and fill a void, but eh, we're not really trying to build for the future. We just want to get a woman into a major series. Wash our hands, job done. Um, I'm not saying that's exactly what's happened with the race for equality and change, but I can tell you this. Uh, in reaction to all the murders of black people in the United States and feeling the full weight of pressure to respond, IndyCar came up with their race for equality and change program. NASCAR already had something, but dedicated to try and do more. IMSA, which had nothing took longer but came up with something we saw we've trans am uh this that like every series seemingly said hey we're going to try and do something some were very specific in terms of race some were more gender-based again each series had its own wrinkle general premise 
we need to do something that is more inclusive and if it's not happening organically on its own with whatever segment of the human race is not adequately represented in our series we're going to try and do something to fix that um indycar came up with theirs great definitely black man black woman focused never going to hear me complain about that uh it's awesome something i've been hoping for dreaming for for a really long time it's happening it's amazing awesome developing talent awesome starting off at the bottom of the road to indy usf 2000 great love where this is going systemic issues of representation we're wanting to solve i don't have it in front of me jeff but there's a long you know eight nine twelve bullet point thing listed in the race for equality and changes mission able to step in thankfully addressing some legitimate criticism that the race for equality and change was really maybe a little too hyper-focused on one ethnicity women not part of that obviously women are not an ethnicity women are a gender but just right we're kind of gone in one direction hard but hey half the world women where's this blind spot peretta autosport my dear friend beth peretta support from roger penske the race for quality change program vehicle that was leased from ricardo hunkos crew from penske and oversight like all kinds of great stuff so you go cool miles row usf 2000 rookie found by or i should say found but rediscovered uh by will power usf 2000 awesome hasn't really raced for three to four years other than carts like it's going to take him a while to he's going to need at least two years to do this if not three to see where he can go and beth's program we get to the end of one year usf 2000 program killed miles left to fend for himself despite winning a race and beth now lacking at least at this moment to my knowledge any and all race for equality and change support for year two uh i don't know how else to respond to this jeff so for what it looks like for what i mentioned which is let's just fast forward this jump up to indy lights take ernie francis jr who is more experienced and more ready than miles for sure throw him into indy lights see how quickly we can develop him and hopefully get him to indycar um again i love the idea of having a talented black kid in indycar if what i read for in the mission statement and statements for the race for equality and change was we want to get a black kid in the indy 500 as quickly as we can and that's really about the only thing we're trying to do i'd have nothing to say not saying i'd agree with it but i'd have really nothing to say look that's what you said you're gonna do right or wrong you're doing it there you go um we're not doing anything to serve the future 
create pipelines. You could say, well, hey, if Ernie does well and does make it to Indy, couldn't that inspire young black kids and kids of all colors and young girls, etc., to fall on his lead? Of course, of course, of course, of course. Is that really the timeline we're talking about, though? Or are we trying to do something that is changing the future, but also the present? It's the abandonment, what it seems like, Jeff, to close here. And I know that you've, there's a lot of other stuff here, and I apologize. I'm just going to kind of move on uh, in just a sec. Um, it's what feels like the abandonment of the now, just to get a kid into Indy car, the Indy 500, as quickly as we can. That's a thing where I go, okay, I don't know if we've solved anything. Um, I don't know if we've made anything equal or changed anything other than hopefully adding one black person to a place that hasn't had a black person on the grid for 20 years now. That doesn't feel like much. That doesn't feel like a need to say that we have an actual program with a title, with a name, Race for Quality and Change. If Beth is out on her own after one year after putting together one of the biggest most widely seen and felt programs at the Indy 500 reaching everywhere way beyond what any other team did throughout the country like if that gets cut after a year like okay and again I know there's some valid reasons look Roger starting this Porsche sports car team personnel's got to be focused there I, I get it just saying um it feels it just doesn't feel right so what are the ideas for the program really simple restore what you started if you're gonna do it do it let's get kids black kids brown kids yellow kids whatever color kids but if we've determined that women and kids of color are not in the numbers that we want them to be on the road to Indy to hopefully then get to IndyCar. Let's reestablish that pipeline that it sure looked like and at least I thought was meant to be a sustainable thing, a sustaining thing. One year and out, we're going right to lights. We're going to try and get a kid into IndyCar as soon as we can. Beth, best of luck, thumbs up. Thanks, Jeff. Seriously, thanks for sending this stuff in. Uh, I appreciate it. And if you want me to get to some of the other questions you had here, and I'm just sharing a 300 words submission, sometimes is hard to get to in its entirety. Um, send in the other portions next week, the week after, whatever you want, and uh, I'll try and uh, answer more in, in more bite-sized forms. Um, all right, we're going quad turbo to close the show here uh kyle at kyle alex 223 from twitter does gateway plan on laying that black surface stuff for nascar that ruined texas speedway for indycar not that i know of uh lord i hope not uh the folks there curtis francois and just everybody um they're way too smart uh dan rice MP with the 24 hours of Daytona taking place this weekend. Got a silly question for you. If IndyCar allowed driver, uh, driver teams and races, uh, which team on the grid would, uh, put together the best lineup in a single car? Uh, 
Um, who could best pair blister and qualifying pace with the racecraft to say manage fuel, tires, and traffic? All right. So, no disrespect to any hardcore, awesome, amazing sports car driver, but usually when you have like really high caliber indie car drivers stepping into say a prototype uh, in IMSA. The cars are slower than what they're used to, and it's rarely hard for them to get 100% out of them. So I say that because wouldn't really need to look to a, a, a rocket driver on a multi-car IndyCar team or whatever to be the qualifier. Like pretty much um, you would expect any top IndyCar driver to be able to do that. So it's just looking for four monsters uh, that can achieve everything you mentioned. Or three. And I just kind of want to go with a single team to do this uh, because it's getting late in the show. I'll just go with Andretti, right? They got four full-timers. Uh, Devlin DeFrancesco is an LMP2 um, and has a lot of sports car experience. But I would go with uh, Herta, Rossi, and Groschon. I think that's a magical lineup. I also, honestly, I think... Dixon, Polo, Erickson could be pretty phenomenal. I don't know, man. I bet pretty much all the teams are uh, capable of putting together pretty amazing lineups. But yeah, I, I think you'd be surprised at how little time you'd really need to put into this. Uh, on average, they would be pretty amazing any three or four car uh, lineup in a single entry. Daniel Ingleton, love this question. Um, says mentioned last week about the lack of personnel numbers at Foyt to cover their three cars. How many engineers, mechanics, and strategy staff does it take to run an Indy car? So I wanted to check and make sure that nothing had changed during the off season. You know, Hey, teams are all adding one extra person or subtracting and the kind of normal number that I've been told remains. And that is 12 to 14. Um, you're going to have your chief mechanic, uh, probably four-ish mechanics, chassis mechanic, you know, four dedicated to working on the chassis. Not like the chief mechanic slash crew chief never works on the car, but it's a little bit more of a managerial oversight pit stop kind of role than, you know, true hardcore. I'm always wrenching on the left front suspension kind of deal. Uh, you're going to have a gearbox specialist. Granted, is that one of your four chassis mechanics? Is that a floating person that looks after the gearboxes or is that a dedicated gearbox person per car that can change a little bit from team to team? You have a truck driver who's a bit of a utility person. Uh, obviously they're driving the truck. So you need that to uh, make a car get to the tracks, but at the track truck driver does a lot of different roles, but certainly plugged into uh, their car and uh, whatever its needs happen to be, the crew's needs. Um, timing stand, you're going to have one strategist. Engineering composition also changes a little bit from team to teams. I know for the more established, wealthier championship caliber teams, you tend to have three engineers per car, your race engineer, an assistant engineer, uh, often referred to as the DAG, the data acquisition geek, and it's now becoming more common for each entry to have a performance engineer 
that is something that isn't a new rule, but just the emergence of that being kind of a standard fare per entry, uh, that's becoming more and more common. Um, damper engineer per car, right? Again, that could be the DAG, probably not the performance engineer, but that could be a consolidated role for one person to do that and another thing, or you could have a dedicated uh, damper engineer. So that's going to be kind of sort of your number. Not There'll be more people in that pit box, right? Could have the team owner there, could have, could have this and that, and the other PR rep, so on and so forth. But really, if we're talking about, hey, we're going to go to the track for a test day, probably staring at 12-ish people minimum, 14, uh, if you really want to bring everybody. So that's about it. Uh, where do we go with the last couple of questiones here before we say goodbye? Uh, Marissa, you know, I failed you here, Marissa. Uh, at Sputnik underscore G on Twitter. I saw your question come through. I should have made a point to move this towards the top of the list uh, because I appreciate you and you sending this in. Uh, she says, with Racing Pride working in North America, how would you like to see IndyCar work with them to become more inclusive? Marissa says, I am a trans woman, and I wasn't always sure if I had a place in this sport as myself, but it seems to be getting better all the time. Uh, she also says, shout out to the Day for being so welcoming. So I assume that means you've joined, Marissa, and if so, like I'm doing a little happy dance here. So that is awesome. Uh, racing pride for those who aren't aware. And I only recently learned about their existence. Um, trying to bring inclusivity for the LBGTQ plus community in motor racing and kind of fits in with the race for equality and change angle, uh, with IndyCar, of course, right? Hey, I, look, <laughs> We kind of got about all the fans we're probably going to have at the moment. Kind of got about all the types of drivers we're going to have in the moment. Are we happy with that? Or do we want to open ourselves up to say, boy, there's a big old world out there with all kinds of people who speak all kinds of languages, who identify as all kinds of different things. And they might be racing fans, and if they aren't, they could be racing fans. Why don't we just be cool, basic, good human beings and say, we love you. Come on in. I don't care what religion. I don't care your political. Like, look, if you're a racing fan and you are a person, those are the only two qualifications needed. Uh, if, you can, if you can check both boxes, human, racing fan got a place for you here maybe even your pets who knows uh imaginary friends we're working on that right now but uh, appreciate you marissa and for sending this in what do they need to do what would i like to see how could they become more uh integrated i don't know how integrated they are uh, that's just raising my hand i don't know uh, i have not had a chance to ask indycar is there anything moving here has there been any communication what I would say is if you are aware uh, of any lack of communication, uh, if you're aware of whether the racing pride folks, 
This was posted on Racer today, by the way, of, of uh, Racing Pride expanding into North America and a number of, of cool representatives across a variety of series trying to stand up and say, hey, I'm here, let's, let's bond and bring our love of racing together. Um, let me know. And I will also make a point here to reach out to IndyCar and ask if they've had any communication outreach from them to Racing Pride or vice versa uh, to see if and what uh, has or hasn't happened. So I will overstate the obvious yet again. As a guy born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area where rainbow flags are seen almost as often as any other flag, uh, Marissa racing pride, people of color, you name like it's a real melting pot. Not always great, right? We're not always awesome to each other out here. It's not some panacea uh, of, uh, humanistic perfection living in a place, being in a place, being raised in a place where we all coincide and try and be as welcoming as we should to be with one another. This is the last vestige of, of progress in the sport that I love and have dedicated my life to. And so any initiatives like Racing Pride or uh, if I maybe spoke a wee bit too passionately about the potential of the race for equality and change uh, for a W series for women in racing and getting as many women into racing as possible. These are things that are just normal for me. And I am so fortunate for that to be the case. And I just want that to be the norm in the area in life that I love most professionally and as a fan. So, Let's see what we can come up with here, Marissa. Uh, okay. Mitsuki Matsura. This is Marshall since Honda and Chevy are starting uh, this, this new 2.4 liter engine stuff. How do you think the sounds of the cars will change higher or lower or better? We'll see. I hope that we get more aggressive sound. I hope that we get soundier sound, <laughs> louder sound, Mitsuki. I really do. I just, the ferocity is what I miss. And that often comes with more revs. That often comes with more power being expelled, more exhaust energy being expelled in an angrier way. I'm hoping the hike in power at least will do that. Uh, we're not moving up beyond 12,000 RPMs per regulation, but uh, fingers crossed, I wouldn't expect crazy different, but more, more gooder. Uh, my favorite IndyCar engines in terms of the sounds, man, I, I really struggle to find anything more beautiful than a 1980s cart Cosworth DFX, uh, Chevy, A, B, you name it, uh, was around those a lot. And then in the 90s in particular, where I was really around cart a lot, uh, boy, all those motors sounded incredible as the revs went up, power went up to insane levels. So maybe more of a mid-80s through end of 90s uh, sound in terms of IndyCar engines for me, Mitsuki. And I still have a lot of, of sounds of IndyCar from back in those days to uh, 
post and to uh, convert from analog tapes to digital for you. So we'll be hearing those for quite a while. Hopefully I'll get to hear all of it, not just uh, my right ear and kind of a little bit of my left ear. Uh, let's see, John Bailey, you're curious if IndyCar could go to a uh, midweek night race. Uh-huh. You say it's worked for the NFL with them having their Thursday things. Um, that's interesting. Hadn't really thought about that too much. Also says best to my wife and cats. Thank you, John. Not for me, of course. Just kidding. Uh, America loves football. So putting football on a midweek or whatever night thing is always going to draw a crowd. I don't know if IndyCar love. I don't know if America loves IndyCar enough to make a Wednesday night, Thursday night race something that would have folks not watching other sports, NBA during the years, often playing maybe Major League Baseball, hockey, or their favorite TV shows. If folks still actually watch network television, um, I'm not against it, John. It just sounds like maybe a few years from now, if Hopefully, IndyCar becomes more popular from coast to coast like it once was. Uh, Nathan, our pal, at IndyNathan on Twitter, has IndyCar set any dates for the new hybrid engines? They had tentatively said first quarter 2022, but I haven't seen any updates recently. I hope by the time you're listening to this, Nathan, you will have a story to read with my name on it at racer.com. Let's see. One more to go. Jeremiah Schnetzka, how you doing? Jeremiah, I appreciate you. Recently, you've uh, been submitting a few questions, and I do appreciate that, seriously. Uh, And I'm just kind of already doing it here, at Jeremiah, S-C-H-N, on the tweeters. Uh, You're going to close the show. You say, hey, MP, hope you and your family are healthy. I'm trying, man. I really am. I am eating healthier than ever. I'm trying to do everything better than ever. So trust me, I'm trying to get there beard still like super gray what is that though jeremiah like my hair on top of my head hasn't turned right it's still dirty dark blonde brunette brown i don't know whatever the heck it is but my beard it's selling me out man making me look like an old dog anyways uh he says after last year's great rivalry between max and lewis do you have an indycar equivalent for a full season was last year's rivalry great between those two it's memorable for the ages no argument there my brother was it great or was it so chocked full of earmuffs bullshit that like man could it just be two epically great race car drivers going at it without all the other nonsense and I may be dragging in a lot of the team-based stuff, uh, not necessarily words said or actions done by Max and Lewis. But I hear you. I get, I get what you're saying. Like, hey, we're 2021, Formula One, for anybody that lived during the time it happened is going to remember it. Uh, yeah, we don't have anything close to it here, brother. That's the thing. What is it going to take for me to get new garden right among indycar drivers bigger driver right i don't remember joseph's height but i think we kind of look each other in the eye a little bit i don't know if i'm a 
tiny bit taller. If he's a tiny bit taller, I think he's a little taller, but you know, whatever, six, one ish, six, two, you know, good build. Looks like he could, you know, be a, a real stick and ball athlete somewhere if he wanted to. How do we get new garden to just walk up to a rival and smack him before the start? Right? Like just kapow. Not like really hurt him, right? I don't want anyone injured, not able to race, but just kind of a, what was that? Right? IndyCar officials holding New Garden and his team back from name whomever it is that he smacked. It couldn't be like Polo, right? Alex, you know, he's not small, but he's dainty. Pato, he's dainty. Colton, kid weighs a buck oh five right don't be hitting colton hurt you like you know if the kid's gonna break um ray hall that right ray hall's meant been mentioned as a great heel in indycar that's what we need granted graham's bigger than joseph i don't know if graham's ever thrown a punch in his life but uh he has the size to to put something on joseph but just something like that if we get to saint pete New Garden's on pole, Graham's second, Graham's on pole, New Garden second, whatever. What is it going to take for New Garden to just walk up and smack, right? If Graham had his dad's old mustache, mustache flies off. Automatically gets a gap in his front teeth like his dad too from the smack. That's what I want to see. And separate the teams, whatever, whatever. Because look, you're going to stand up for your driver. You're, you're, I get all that. I you totally understand it. I don't really want to see a Jeremiah, but for the sake of creating a real full season rivalry, one that would also have folks going, "What in the hell happened between New Garden and Ray Hall?" Oh, I would love it. Then after the race. You know it's going to be the first thing that folks ask Newgarden about, and I would hope Newgarden would say nothing. I have no idea what you're talking about. But we've got the video right here. Wasn't me. Quote Eddie Murphy. Wasn't me. Uh, just totally insane, right? Surreal. Everyone would be talking about it. ESPN, Sports Center, this, that, the other, it, Sky Sports, you name it. What in the world happened? Graham. What what happened? What did, did you do? What did he say to you? Did, what did you say to him? I have no idea. What the hell is wrong with the guy? He's a lunatic, right? Something. I don't know, by the way, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, why I've roped Newgarden and Ray Hall in, but I think it's because they're bigger and sturdier. So a smack again is not going to seriously like damage either one. But it's that kind of thing, because barring that, like really. The only hope that I have in terms of a real rivalry that could be developed and then sustained for many years would be Colton and Pato. Former teammates, Indy Lights teammates, Pato won the title, Colton finished second, Colton had a little bit of an injury during the year. Maybe that contributed to him not winning the title, but regardless, Pato won the title. Colton came P2. Colton got the IndyCar opportunity. The two of them were supposed to go to the same team. 
team owner came up short on his promises. Only Colton got the ride. Pato went on a pretty crazy journey to finally get back by 2020, getting hired by Air McLaren SP becomes a race winner in his second season, two wins title contender. Colton meanwhile's won what five races, six, whatever the number is become a front running contender every year. Um, they're racing together this weekend in the same car. So they're actually friends. But if we're talking real long runway here, Jeremiah, of a proper rivalry, two great teams with two great generational talents to go after it year after year, hoping that Pato doesn't wander off to F1 or Colton wanders off to F1. That's the only thing that I see right now that could serve us. Do we have an old Lion, Lewis, Young Lion, Max kind of thing that we could see keep going for years and years? I don't know. I don't know how much longer Scott Dixon's going to keep doing the full-time thing. I mean, Dixie is, what, 41, be 42 in July? You know, hey, Alex Pillow, what do you got in year two? Are you going to be taking it to the six-time champ? Um, Dixie, are you going to be able to handle this kid now uh, like you came you did okay but he did have the upper hand most of the year you know what, what's going on there there could be an intra-team thing here of the old lion not wanting to retire wanting to put the smack down on the the young young lion who just won the title uh, there could be a little something there but dixon's not that super super hard-edged of a person to go like totally dark on a teammate like that I don't know if I see a lot else here right now, Jeremiah. So that's what I got. If any of that amused you, then hopefully I succeeded a little bit. Thanks once again. I have no idea who our guest is going to be later this week. Uh, we've got a pretty crazy schedule through Wednesday. I get more stuff drilled in my head and poked into me and my wife. We've got uh, chemo tomorrow and all kinds of stuff going on. But I'll try and see who our guest should be. Any of you are still listening at this point in time, don't hesitate to send me a note and say, hey, this driver, that team manager, that whomever, team owner, let's get them on. Um, always open to suggestions. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is our Marshall Pruitt podcast brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Speak to you here soon. <laughs>